Support for Think Humanities is brought to you by the Spalding University School of Creative and Professional Writing. Think Humanities, a podcast for people who love history, philosophy, culture, literature, civic dialogue, and the arts. Think Humanities from Kentucky Humanities, where we have been telling Kentucky's story for 49 years. Here's your host, Bill Goodman. Welcome to the Think Humanities podcast. Uh, I'm Bill Goodman, along with Scott Miller. We want to introduce Scott to you today. Uh, He has uh, such a a great background and is uh, available in our Kentucky Humanities Speakers Bureau. Uh, We appreciate him coming in. He's just been on the road. We'll talk a little bit about uh, maybe some of the work that he's doing down in Nashville. But Scott is a, a, a musician extraordinaire and is available uh, for uh, your social gathering, your church, your uh, school uh, group, and he promises to bring his fiddle and maybe a couple of more instruments with him. Scott, welcome to our microphone. Thank you. I appreciate you having me. Uh, first of all, just tell me about yourself and uh, what you, you're growing up. You're, uh, it's um, a, quite an interesting story, your life story, before we get into what you do for Kentucky Humanities as a member of our Speakers Bureau. Sure. I uh, grew up in with an Ironton, Ohio address, which I graduated from Colgrove High School. Now, uh, Lawrence County is across from Ashland, Kentucky, so I grew up in the tri-state. So that tri-state of uh, Appalachian, Ohio, uh, eastern Kentucky, and, and uh, western, that portion of western West Virginia is, is, could almost be its own culture and state. So everything uh, musically and just culturally, it, it's all blended in that tri-state region. Uh, so I, you know, I started playing the, the drums as uh, you know as a elementary sixth grader. Uh, started playing the guitar when I was in the seventh grade. Uh, that first guitar lesson, a, a gentleman's uh, name was Herb Rose. He worked at Armico Steel, and I walked out of the lesson and I told my mom, "You're not going to believe this. He plays the guitar, and people pay him to do it." <laughs> so I thought, "Man, I, I want to get in on that." Um, so uh, later, my dad took me to a store called the Fret and Fiddle in Huntington, West Virginia. And the owner was Joe Dobbs. And Joe's brother, Dennis, gave guitar lessons. I really didn't know a lot of, about anything, except I knew I needed to probably learn, you know, some take some lessons. And so he started teaching me how to flat pick. That's playing lead guitar with a flat pick on an acoustic guitar. And he began to teach me how to play uh, fiddle tunes. And, uh, you know, standard tunes like uh, Liberty and, and regional tunes like Chinky Pin. Uh, mm-hmm. And uh, so it wasn't long, and then he moved, uh, moved away, moved back to Louisiana where he was originally from. But from being at that store, I became, uh, got to know these musicians, and, and I became part, when I was in high school, of a group called the Appalachian Fiddlers Association. So I grew up around all of these, you know, great old guys that, played the fiddle and, and banjos and guitars and they were real kind to me and you know let me play with them and they taught me things and let me go on stage with them and hired me to play gigs with them and uh, you know later as you know I later I realized some of these people J.P. Fraley was a guy that I played with at the Fret and Fiddle and then later <laughs> I found out he was kind of a famous guy in this and he was just a friend of mine didn't really know that and so um, after high school I went to Morehead State University and um, was a jazz uh, and studio guitar major with uh, emphasis in music education. So I have a music 
education degree from Moorhead State. Did you know at that time that you wanted to be a performer, that this was going to be your life? That, that was my intention, yeah. So kind of took some detours. I, I uh, left Moorhead State and I, I went to Texas and pursued a uh, degree in uh, theology or biblical studies, but, but I played a lot of music there. So I played everything from, uh, I was in a bluegrass band uh, in a band south of Dallas. Um, I played uh, in a cowboy band one summer in Estes Park, Colorado. We did <laughs> Sons of the Pioneers music. Oh, yeah. I played, I subbed with a gypsy band in Houston, Texas for a month. That was great. I mean, the, the old world uh, music, we, I mean, it's like the top musicians in Houston. It was just a great experience. Kind of, you know, I grew up in Deerfield Holler. So all these really cool experiences, man, I'm playing with this band's like the number one clarinet player in Houston, you know, and it, we're just doing these, you know, we did, the first gig was, that first evening was a Russian Jewish wedding. It was unbelievable. Oh my goodness. I never played, and I've played on stages since then with 50,000 people and loud amps, and, and but, but I've never matched the energy of, of that band that night. It was mm-hmm. just a real, you know, just an incredible experience. Mm-hmm. I had a jazz duo with a, with a, horn player from Australia in Dallas, and we played that kind of jazz, new age duo stuff around the city uh, when I lived in Dallas. Mm-hmm. Well, I had a lot of really great musical experiences, and then eventually moved to Nashville, and, and my goal was to be an acoustic, you know, play acoustic guitar on the road with an artist. And I got to do that, but in the meantime, like I had told you, I started playing the hammer dulcimer uh, when I was in college. I had a roommate who was a fiddler. His name was Dan Kelly. And Dan was a champion fiddle player. He had won the Grand Masters Fiddle Championship when he graduated from high school. And that's, that's the top. Mm-hmm. That, that was the top fiddle championship. Uh, you win that one. I mean, you're, you know, that's the deal. And so he and I traveled around in college and played fiddle contests all over the eastern United States. And I got to play with some of the best fiddle players in, in the country. Uh, made a lot of really good friends, a lot of uh, relationships that I've maintained till this day. Now, so, were you p- playing the, the dulcimer at that time? No, or was, were you playing the fiddle too? I, I was playing, uh, I was playing acoustic the, guitar for him. With him? I was playing yeah. the acoustic guitar okay. for him. So I kind of got ahead of the story. We, we played at Silver Dollar City the year before it became Dollywood. So we had a fiddle and guitar, you know, and, and we had our own show. And then uh, it became Dollywood. A couple years later, I worked at a dulcimer shop in Gatlinburg, and the owner had a hammer dulcimer, hmm. and I traded a mandolin for it. Kind of taught myself how to play, and it was really heavy. So when I was living in Texas, uh, I took that instrument to get it repaired, and uh, the person's name that owned the shops, uh, his name was Russell Cook. Mm-hmm. And Russell said, you should sell this and buy mine. It weighs 10 pounds, has more notes. You'll make a lot of money playing the hammer dulcimer. <laughs> and I thought, wow, you know. <laughs> but, you know, I started playing the hammer dulcimer, and I booked a bunch of Christmas jobs that first year, and I moved to Nashville. And, it, and the, the cool thing about the dulcimer was there's not as many dulcimer players in Nashville. And we, I started, you know, getting session work, and, you know, I hadn't been in town long, and I got to do uh, – I got to do one of my first uh, downtown sessions on a Christian rock record, playing the Hammer Dulcimer. And uh, it's a really cool experience. And so, um, so not only playing acoustic guitar and other instruments, but um, you know, I got to do a lot of really cool uh, studio work. I got to play with the Nashville Symphony, playing mm-hmm. the Hammer Dulcimer, played for the Lord of the Rings Symphony. That was, mm-hmm. that was a really great experience. So. Um, so we were in uh, Nashville for 12 years. All three of my children were born uh, in Nashville. 
and uh, we lived in North Alabama for six years. Then we moved back to Kentucky. During all that, I'd started playing. I'd, I had started playing old time banjo and started playing fiddle. And I was playing old time tunes, and um, and uh, and I thought, you know, this is kind of fun. And uh, things just continued to progress. And I'm real obsessive compulsive, so mm-hmm. when I really get into something, you know, it was just all fiddle, you know. So. Uh, my fiddle playing has grown, and, and I've really focused my fiddle direction on music from that part of eastern Kentucky and the tri-state where I grew up. You are so educated uh, in in this uh, entire area, both in the classroom and outside. I mean, you learned uh, you, you learned uh, through the school of hard knocks, I guess. Uh, that's having to do it, uh, having to earn a living, that sort of thing. Uh, and it's kind of a silly question on my part, but I'm just curious— you you obviously read music. I do. But did you learn to play all of these instruments by ear or just by by practice? I mean, you didn't. Uh, I can't imagine you would pick up a uh, a book with uh, uh, chords and uh, or notes and and read from there. You you tell me how you did it. Uh, you said you picked up the fiddle. How how did you start playing fiddle? Well, you know, I um, you know, I play by I play by ear yeah. and, and and I can read. So that's the best of both worlds. Mm-hmm. And, you know, there's, um, you know, traditional music has been passed on, um, you know, by word of mouth, by, by ear, by rote. You know, I would, uh, I, I remember when I was in uh, high school, you know, I'd learned to play a fiddle tune on the guitar. And there was a gentleman who uh, played the fiddle, and I'd go to his house, and I'd play guitar. And, and uh, I'd play the wrong chord, and, and he would yell out the right chord. Mm. And then mm. if I played the wrong chord... Too many times he would tap me with his bow, kind of a hard tap. <laughs> and uh, so, you know, that's yeah, by ear. Right. You know, developing a, a really good. And the great thing about playing with fiddle players, if you're a guitar player or a banjo player, you have to use your ear. Mm-hmm. You know, if I'm playing the guitar and you're playing the guitar and I don't know the song, but I watch your hand, I kind of know what chord to play. But if you're a guitar player playing with a fiddle player, you have to learn to use your ear. Mm-hmm. So that was a really good, really good yeah. experience. So. Uh, I grew up playing piano as well. So, you know, I could read. Before I went to Moorhead, I taught myself how to read on the guitar. And uh, and I still read. Don't read real fast because typically I don't really, you know, ha- I get, don't get that call. But it's always nerve-wracking. Mm-hmm. I was in Nashville and I walked in to do a session and on the hammer dulcimer, which is pretty hard to read with because of the nature of the diatonic instrument. And I walked in, the producer puts this, you know, puts the sheet on the page, and I'm just like, oh, no. Because I can read it, but, you know, it's hard on that instrument, mm-hmm. and, you know, you just don't do it every day. You know, yeah. you're just kind of like, How'd you oh, do? I don't know. Yeah, I did it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I did it, and it went down to tape, and he said, good job, and, and they used it. So, uh, but, you know, it's kind of. Was that of, when you were playing uh, alone? You were laying down a track? Yeah, uh, I was laying just down the a track. Yeah, yeah. yeah, I went wow. in, and, you know, all the tracks were down, and he goes, I want you to play these parts, and so. Uh, you know, you know, I worked it out and, yeah. and, you know, we went through it, but you know, a lot of folks think, well, you know, uh, traditional music is, is, and, and it is by ear. It's been passed down for generations mm-hmm. by ear, but a lot of those, uh, a lot of our history, uh, uh musicians read. Mm-hmm. And the funny thing about when you, uh, some of those fiddlers in my region could read, they just didn't tell other fiddlers. And they might not have been able to sit down and play the gig by reading it, you know, by reading a lead sheet. But they would come up with these tunes that no one else knew. And they just acted like they just pulled it out of thin air, mm-hmm. you know. And, uh, but they were like, mm-hmm. you know, reading these tunes, learning them, going and playing them in a contest or at a jam mm-hmm. or, you know, on a dance, you know, 
bandstand. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, it really is the best of both worlds. It's really helpful to learn to read. I'm talking to uh, Scott Miller, who's a member of our Kentucky Humanities Speakers Bureau. Uh, we're going to talk about uh, three talks that he does for uh, Kentucky Humanities. And uh, it's just fascinating to hear about his life and his uh, family and his children and all of their... And in fact, uh, I, you've told me about your children. Why don't you um, tell our audience about them? You've got some talented kids uh, that you've brought along in the uh, music tradition. It's great. I'm... I'm incredibly blessed. My daughter, Sarilyn, is the oldest. And Sarilyn's... That's such a pretty name. How, how do you spell that? S-A-R-A-L-Y-N. Sarilyn. Like Carolyn with an S. Uh-huh, uh-huh. My wife is a school teacher, and she had a student whose name was Sarilyn. She said, we ever have a kid? Yeah, uh-huh. a girl. I want to name her Sarilyn. Yeah, so, yeah. Uh, But she is uh, graduated from Moorhead State University with a nursing degree, bachelor's of nursing, and then she was a traditional music minor. And um, she's a great fiddle player. Hmm. And she studied with Raymond McLean. She's got a, we talked about playing, but she's got a great ear. She's fast. I mean, um, she's way faster than me. And I I would go by Raymond's office and and they would be sitting nose to nose and he would play a lick and she would just play it right back. You know, and I'm like, man, that's, you know, she's just, you know, really a great player. And and Raymond had a big influence as well as uh, Jesse Wells and, and, um, um, uh, Megan there at, at KCTM. My oldest son's name is Noah. Noah graduated in 2020 from the United States Naval Academy, and he's a second lieutenant in the United States Marine Corps. So, uh, but Noah, he also plays. Noah plays fiddle. He plays uh, upright bass. Uh, he plays guitar. Really great guitar player. Really great mandolin player. And because of his job, he doesn't get to play a lot. And he was home for Thanksgiving a couple weeks ago, and he. I heard him at my parents' house. He got my dad's mandolin, and he started playing a Bach partita that he had oh. learned that you know that uh, Chris Dealey played. And I'm like, oh. man, he hadn't played that forever, and he just sits down and rolls it off. Oh, so wow. Okay. It's really great. to. Yeah. Uh, and, and then my youngest son, Elijah Boone Miller, is a uh, jazz studies major, guitar player at Morehead State, really diverse in his styles, yeah. really well-rounded. Uh, started playing the fiddle when he was six and kind of shifted his focus to guitar in uh, middle school. Um, really a, a great musician. The, the, the thing about my kids is they grew up in this tradition of Appalachian music. So they grew up as, as kids playing with, um, you know, playing these tunes like uh, Warfield that's a regional tune from, from our area. And, and I got to teach them the regional tunes that I really didn't know about when I was a teenager. You know, I was playing, you know, standard fiddle tunes, but but there really in Ashland and in that part of Kentucky, there weren't any fiddlers to sit down and learn these regional tunes from, really. I played with JP some. Yeah. But, you know, my kids grew up steeped in that tradition, and that's the fabric. Of, they play, all of them play different styles of music, but uh, but that's, that's kind of their foundation is this you know, traditional uh, music that they grew up with. Well, Scott, when we talk about, when you talk about traditional music, what do we mean by traditional music? You know, that's a good question. Traditional music, you know, country music wasn't called country music until the 50s. So it it went through different phases. You know, it was called folk, it it was called old-time music. It was called, uh, for a short period of time, folk music uh, as it related to this music we're talking about. So traditional music, I, I make that definition of the music that um, that is traditional 
to the cultural region of, of a people group. So, um, you know, the, the music that was part of the, you know, so in our part of um, Kentucky, you know, that traditional music from the settling in the 18th century up, in, up until now included fiddles, guitars, you know, included those, you know, traditional songs, ballads. We um, in Kentucky know Gene Ritchie. Um, is, how would you, wh where is Gene Ritchie in the, uh, in the panoply of traditional mountain music? Is she? Um, in the center of that, yeah. She, she's right there. She, yeah. she is traditional music. Right. I mean, think, you know, um, you know, when recorded, recorded music comes along and, and then we have uh, these people that I talk about, J.W. Day, mm -hmm. Bill Day, the blind fiddler from Round County, who Gene Thomas promoted as Jilson Setters. Uh, one of the most renowned fiddlers um, uh, from Ashland, his name was Ed Haley. I can talk about him. Uh, this is really exciting. A new, uh, uh, this has been a long time to come. He never recorded for a commercial company. He was afraid they'd take advantage of a blind man. So it's like these records have gone through this evolution. It seems like his grandson and I talked last night. You know, it's almost like every 25 years something happens. 25 years after his death, they made these home recordings on a disc, wire disc cutter. 25 years later, uh, some folks find out about it. The Smithsonian makes copies of some of these recordings. 25 years, uh, and, and around a re uh, records release, a record called Parkersburg Landing. 25 years later, a two two um, CD sets are released. And now, in January, 150 sides of home recordings. Ed Haley will be released on Springfed hmm. Records um, that's part of Middle Tennessee State. So, uh, really exciting. You know, so that was traditional music, those. Now, we think what's popular music, you know, you know in the advent of recorded music, mm -hmm. um, you know, it would be those popular, you know, pop songs of the day, you know, and, mm -hmm. and, you know, in the 20s and 30s, you know, what became popular in the big band area, that would be, you know, it was songs that were written in that, in that day and time. And... Um, so I don't know if that kind of helps answer that question. Sure it does. And I want to hear more uh, about uh, some of the uh, people that you include in your uh, Kentucky Humanities Speakers Bureau talk. And uh, uh, we're going to hear from our good friends at Spalding University. But then I want you to, to describe to me a little bit more about uh, the disc cutting uh, machine, the Wilcox Gay Disc Cutting Machine. I want to come back and start with that. But first we're going to hear from our uh, friends from the writing school at Spalding University. At Spalding University's low residency MFA in creative writing, serious writers thrive with one-on-one -on -one faculty attention in a supportive community. Study fiction, poetry, creative nonfiction, writing for children and young adults, where writing for TV, screen, and stage stay at Louisville's historic Brown Hotel during week-long residencies or travel to Paris for short-term study abroad. Flexible scheduling and affordable tuition put a top-tier MFA in reach. Learn more at spalding.edu forward slash writing or email schoolofwriting at spalding.edu. Scott, I think uh, I'm going to start in, in reverse of, um, 
of the way you're listed in our uh, sure. on our website. Okay. Uh, by the way, that's kyhumanities.org, or you can call the office at any time. Scott's available to uh, to come and talk to your group, or uh, I'll bet you you are going to get your money's worth when he pulls out his uh, guitar, fiddle, or or uh, hammered dulcimer uh, that he travels with. But I'm going to start in reverse because. Uh, you mentioned uh, Ed Haley and the Blind Fiddlers of Ashland, but uh, I thought I was fascinated by just this description that we use on our website that he he never was in a studio, a formal studio to record. He used the Wilcox, uh, Wilcox Gay disc cutting machine. So, um, and then a very famous um, bluegrass uh, singer and player, uh, John Hartford, uh, at some point stumbled into his work. So kind of put all that together for me. So Ed Haley was born in Logan County, West Virginia, 1883. Um, he wasn't born blind, he had the measles. And there was some speculation, but as a result of that, he, he, uh, he went blind. And one thing I talk about in the, the talk, his father's name was Milt. And Milt was murdered by a lynch mob in 1889 as part of the Lincoln County feud. His mother died in 1891, so he was raised by his maternal uh, grandfather and uh, uncle and, 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 and a, a lady named Liza, who basically raised uh, Ed. So his story is just intriguing. It's, it's very interesting. So he, he grows up and he, he begins to play the fiddle. He, you know, one of his uncles made a cornstalk fiddle and he graduated to a fiddle fiddle. And, <laughs> um, and Ed... Uh, you know, he just absorbed everything. And he eventually um, landed in Ashland, Kentucky. His wife, Ella, was also a blind musician. Hmm. She was from Round County, Moorhead. Went to the School for the Blind in Louisville. Uh, incredible piano player, uh, accordion player, and singer. She uh, learned to play the mandolin. Ed taught her how to play the mandolin and played behind him. Hmm. He played on the street. They played on the street. They played at uh, courthouse days all over eastern Kentucky they, and uh, southern Ohio, West Virginia. When he would go to West Virginia, someone would take him to West Virginia. The news would start traveling around the region that Ed's in town, and they had a dance every night. Hmm. So here's this incredible professional musician my mom and dad got to listen to Ed when they were kids play on the street at, uh, in front of Kresge's uh, Five and Dime in Ironton, Ohio. Mm -hmm. They remember him playing. And he liked kids. And my dad talked about him. Uh, my dad didn't, you know, he was a little kid, you know, and, and Ed would talk to him and he'd play, you know, some, some tunes. So Ed was this phenomenal musician and people came from all around to watch Ed play professional musicians. Clark Kessinger, who became one of the uh, top uh, record sellers of traditional music in the 20s, spent lots of hours watching and copying things from Ed. He went on to record uh, for Brunswick and had one of the top number one sellers with his waltz, Wednesday Night Waltz, which was actually recorded in Ashland, Kentucky. Hmm. The Brunswick Company uh, made a field recording in Ashland, and uh, that's where they cut that record. Uh, there was a fiddler named uh, Georgia uh, Slim Rutland spent time. All these fiddlers came and watched Ed. Ed was way ahead of his time. 
uh, he his every time he played the tune, he created these variations like like a jazz player, but but that stuck close to the melody. His use of syncopation, uh, his use of the whole bow. Um, so he never would record for a commercial company, and his uh, son, the oldest son, who was actually a stepson, it was uh, El's son from a previous relationship, and so it was um, uh, he raised the. Um, Ralph and Ralph was in the army and he came home with that Wilcox disc cutting machine. Man, they got. Can you have you ever seen one? I haven't. No. Well, uh, but they're surely they're still around somewhere. Maybe. It, yeah. And it cuts grooves in the disc. Uh huh. You know, so you have the you have uh-huh. the disc and and as it records, it cuts, it cuts the grooves in the disc. So Ed began to record these records in their in their living room. Hmm. No sound uh, proofing or uh, no, just uh, padding on the walls or no, any of that. Yeah, just just in their <laughs> just in their living room. Yeah. So um, Ed starts to record these records, and he does a bunch of sides of these records. And he, when he died um, in '51, and he began to have heart problems. And. Um, when he died, they took all the records and they split it up. He had six kids. So, Bill, think about this. You have two blind musicians who uh, perform all over the region, uh, raise six kids, keep a house, um, and and do, I mean, mm-hmm. put all this together and incredible, you know, musicians. You know, uh, Steve Haley is Ed's grandson. The, it's funny how this music passes along because Ed's grandson Steve started playing trumpet and he has a music degree from Morehead State. You know, played in big band and and, and jazz. He's a trumpet player, and um, so you know he said that uh, you know Ella's kind of an unsung hero. Think about that. I mean, she was managing Ed's career. She was playing with him as a mm-hmm. musician. You know, they were doing these recordings, um, and the great thing about this new release is it's going to have. A lot of Ella's playing and her singing. We talked last night. Think about this is how creative, you know. I, I just uh, love this creativity. They, I don't know how they did it. She's dubbed her vocals. She sang harmony to herself. Right. Oh, really? Now, how that? You know, At that time, I mean, how um, did they do that without you know? tracks being laid down exactly. and playing back and all of that? That that was that's pretty amazing. Yeah. So you know, yeah. think about the creativity. So they they basically divvied up uh, Lawrence, who was uh, son number five or, or son number four of uh, Ed and Ella. Mm-hmm. He guarded the records, so he was kind of some of the other um, you know siblings. Their records kind of you know they they didn't keep track of them like Lawrence did. So Lawrence kept track of these records. Ed was a legend. In other words, you just heard how great he was. Mark Wilson and Gus Mead heard the tales, and they, uh, Steve told me they came to see mm-hmm. his dad. So we've heard this legend from all these fiddlers of Ed Haley, but we just kind of think it's a legend. And, uh, you know, and, and they chatted, and, and he said, well, why don't you come in, and I'll play some of it. And they just, jaws hit the mm. floor. Alan Jabbar was at the Smithsonian Folkways. They went and transferred those over for the Smithsonian. Mm. Um, Rounder Records released that first record called Parkersburg Landing. Fast forward 
uh, John Hartford told Steve. Hmm. John was on the road and he went to you know like a rec- used record store or something and he and he said, look, look at that. He's, there's a steamboat on the back of the cover. He goes, there's a fiddle and a steamboat. My two favorite things in the world, steamboat. <laughs> so he just bought the record, and but he took it home and he put it on the shelf. Didn't listen to it. So one day he just sat around, didn't have anything to do. He said, yeah, I've never listened to that record. And he listened to it and it changed his life right then. He's, wow. He just became, he, he just said that gave him a new kind of mission. I mean, this, uh, and so he became incredibly involved in the research of Ed and Ed's fiddling, Ed's music and his life. And mm-hmm. uh, then John helped create this. They did uh, two two CD sets, Round of Records did, of Ed's music. Now, the problem with, with the records is over time, you know, they, they got scratches, had a lot of static because of the way they were recorded, and then this the age of the records. And so over the last six years, Middle Tennessee State, uh, a fellow's named Martin Fisher, has repaired the records, cleaned them. They redigitized those. And so the public is going to have a real treat because I've heard them. Yeah. To hear these cleaned up recordings, uh-huh. and it really some of them sounds like you're sitting in the living room, you know, uh, with Ed. And so it's just uh, Ed, uh, John Hartford said he felt that Ed was the grandfather of modern fiddling. And, uh, you know, he's right there in, in Ashland. And then we have J.W. Day. Mm-hmm. J.W. Day was born in 1861. And um, so uh, from him, we, we get a glimpse into this archaic style of fiddling. And, uh, and then these ballads. And you call it archaic. Does it go beyond traditional, or no, is it, it, it's it, part of that? It, it is. We would call that yeah. uh, traditional in the, in the pure sense. I mean, Ed was an innovator. You know, Ed Ed was you know uh, was playing traditional tunes, but he just had this. And, and you have to realize he was a professional musician. That's all he did. He practiced all the time. He played, mm-hmm. and uh, he was just innovating. You know, and and it was really. The great thing about Ed and Ella was they not just played traditional music that you know the 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 regional fiddle tunes, but they also played pop tunes, sang pop tunes of the day. You know they were playing for tips. Uh, so they um, everywhere that Ed went, he knew that region's tunes. So if he played in Pikeville, he had a pretty good handle on their local repertoire. He knew what they like to hear to dance. But then if he went back to Logan County, West Virginia, he knew what they wanted to hear up there. Um, uh, Bill Day, um, his when you listen to, compare their styles, Bill has a real rhythmic um, um, sense to his bowing. Uh, simpler. Um, you know, his uh, play some really great tunes, but the, the difference with him is he knew all of these really old English ballads that were just kind of part mm-hmm. of his repertoire and when Jean Thomas started working with him you know she saw in him this preservation of certain Elizabethan ballads that had been preserved in the mountains but but here's how creative he was not only did he know these old ballads but he was a great ballad writer you know he's so he's the one who wrote the the ballad about the round county feud and there's this many verses. I mean, it's like, you know, and he wrote it, and then other people recorded it, like Doc Boggs recorded that song, and, and Bill Day uh, wrote those ballads. And, um, and I got to know his grandson, uh, Ron Day, 
and Ron shared with me um, just lyrics that had never even been published, you know, in a book. And he was just a great ballad writer. And so you have this, and, and because of Gene, here's this blind now, fiddler. Uh, Gene Thomas. That's Gene who Thomas. Were, yeah, right. and that's the uh, subject of one of your other talks. Uh, they they blend together, but uh, you call her the the Trapeson woman. Is am I pronouncing that right? Right. That that was a name that she acquired. She she's an interesting uh, person. She grew up in Ashland. She became a court stenographer. She went to business school. Late eighteen hundreds. Pretty unusual for a woman in that day to pursue that kind of an occupation. And so she got that name. She followed the court reporters around through uh, Eastern Kentucky in the mountains, and she, you know, went to court and. Uh, and then she was really uh, enthralled with the entertainment business, and she spent time in New York City. She's a really interesting uh, life, but she became a, a promoter, folk promoter. And so she really approached things, in my opinion, after having been in the music business, she approached this from a uh, entertainment point of view, and um, she changed J.W.'s name. She called him Jilson Setters and created a fictitious kind of name. Do we know why she did that? You know, I think that she did that because she was trying to create a persona. Mm. And she wrote a book called The Fiddler of Lost Hope Hollow. And, uh, and it's basically, there are some nuggets of truth, but it's basically a fictitious uh, account of a fiddler that, that would be stereotypical, you know, in mm. the average person's mind in maybe the hills of Kentucky. But, but the, the good things that she did, she took J.W. Day, she got him a uh, contract with Victor Recordings in 1928, February 1928. This is a cool happening. Mm-hmm. From Ashland, Kentucky. He's recording in New York City for Victor. So he cuts a number of sides for them. And that same month, Clark Kessinger, the great fiddler from St. Albans, West Virginia, because the number one seller Wednesday Night Waltz in Ashland. Mm. So it's kind of, they yeah. kind of made that direction. So she he played it at uh, Albert Hall for the King Queen of England. Um, he, um, um, you know, he played at these folk festivals that she took him to in St. Louis, Chattanooga, and Dallas. Um, he played at the Roxy Theater in New York City. And then he was the one of the first featured performers of the American Folk Song Festival, and he played for two governors, two Kentucky governors mm-hmm. there. So uh, Jean really uh, did this great service for traditional music. As she, we have documentation of J.W. Day and and that um, that uh, style of fiddle playing, you know, from this region of Kentucky. He's the fourth oldest fiddler ever recorded. Hmm. Uncle Jimmy Thompson from the Grand Ole Opry was the oldest. Mm-hmm. And so we have this repertoire from that period of time. And we hear these ballads that he sang and the ballads that he composed and this you know, creativity. And so she really did us a great service by, you know, kind of showing the world, you know, what, you know, what, you know, he, he had as a musician. And Scott, is that music still alive? Is that music still being played? Are young people uh, learning uh, traditional mountain music? They are. They are. Um, At Morehead State, we have the Kentucky Center for Traditional Music. So we have students who come and and, uh, and learn about traditional music, both um, traditional old-time music, bluegrass music, 
um, um, traditional country music, blues, gospel. That's Shape part that. of their curriculum. That, yeah. That's what they're learning. Right. Shape and I, do they come in as players? Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah, it's an audition. Um, oh, it's an audition. Yeah. Wow. So, you know, we've, we've had these, uh, man, we've had these really great students, uh, Montana Hobbs and uh, Linda Jean Stokely have a group called the Local Honeys. They came through our program. Mm-hmm. So they're a young group that are keeping some of these traditional ballads and some of these traditional tunes alive. Mm-hmm. Um, there's uh, Daxon Lewis that comes to my mind, who's a, a fantastic banjo player who's now playing with Daly and Vincent. The, mm-hmm the uh, bluegrass artist, mm-hmm. uh, David Austin Tackett and uh, Bailey Henderson are um, two musicians that have their husband and wife now and they have a duo and they're doing these traditional tunes and actually Bailey and I are doing a uh, Kentucky Arts Apprenticeship as a fiddle apprenticeship. So she's learning these regional tunes from the area where she grew up. She grew up in Boyd County mm-hmm. and uh, so it's great to see these young people um, keeping you know these tunes alive the 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 style i mean that that's but we need a lot more of that you know scott I, you want to you're so enthusiastic about this uh and and i hope that uh through your own means uh, as well as through kentucky humanities you can uh, travel the state uh Tell people about the, your story, uh, this story, uh, play a little music for them. Uh, you really want to see this continue, and uh, I'm, I'm glad we can do this. Uh, I'm glad we can, not that you need us, uh, we need each other uh, to put you, put, put you out there. It's, it's, uh, it's valuable to you. I can tell uh, by talking uh, and listening to you that uh, you love this, and, and it's part of your, it's your life, isn't it? It really is, and it's part of my story. And we have this incredible, you know, in our region, but, you know, uh, every region across rural America, you know, we have these regional accents of traditional music. The way a fiddle player plays um, in, in my part of eastern Kentucky and uh, southeastern Ohio and that part of West Virginia and the way a New England fiddler plays, it's... We're both playing traditional music, but 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 the but the accent—it's like having a verbal accent, you know. Um, it's the same in Missouri, those tunes, and in Texas, and we're all playing traditional music, but it all has a flavor, just like we all speak with a different accent. Mm-hmm. If you're from New York City, you have a different accent than if you're from uh, you know from Georgia or Eastern Kentucky or Texas, and musically, it's the same. And I'm really passionate about that because it's important that we maintain and, and keep alive these tradition. I mean, these regional accents, especially, it's the same in Ireland. You know, all around the island, there are different styles of fiddling. And so, you know, I hope the young people, and I teach private lessons in Ashland, uh, yeah, my, my hope is that more young people will become involved and kind of keep, you know, these, uh, you know, these regional styles and this music alive. Because you know there are festivals that attract large numbers of people, and it's and it's you know Clifftop, West Virginia had it's called Clifftop, the uh, Appalachian String Band Festival. So when you go, it's easy to think, oh wow, look, I mean there's thousands and thousands of people, and you're like, man, you know everything's great, but but compared to the commercial world at large, you know we're still a very small, 
you know, segment of the music listeners and music players, mm-hmm. and, and, and we're always trying to encourage um, young people and older people. And, and by the way, it's never too late to learn to play an instrument. Uh, I always encourage, you know, folks, um, you know, well, I'm too old. You know, I have a student whose name is Tyler Johnson. Tyler came to me three years ago and said, I'm going to learn to play the banjo. He didn't say, I think I'll try it out. You know, he's in his 30s, works yeah. for Marathon. Yeah. Uh, has two small kids. He didn't say, I think I'll try it out. He says, I'm going to learn how to play the banjo. So every day he practices, you know, and, and uh, you know, and his wife's like, are you going to pull that banjo out again? Yes, because <laughs> I'm going to learn how to play it. Yeah. And uh, and now he's a great player, and I just produced a record. Uh, he just did his first album, really? and he's been playing so he's three that years. accomplished. Oh, yeah, he's, he's really worked. He goes, you know, I, I got a ways to go. He said, but I'm, I want to... I want to make a recording. And so we worked on that, and, and yeah. uh, he writes tunes, yeah. and he's learning to write tunes, and he's learning to write original tunes, and I'm a tune writer, and, and he's learning to write um, traditional t- in that traditional vein so that if you heard it, you'd be like, wow, where'd that come from? You know, you would assume, you know, if it's a, uh, wow, it must be an old tune. Well, he, he wrote it. You know, it's cool. Yeah. I've got students who are, uh, I have uh, students who are in their 70s, who, you know, I have a student, Mike Miller in Ashland, and, and Mike's from West Virginia, and he's a guitar player, and he's passionate about it. So, you know, he plays a lot of these old fiddle tunes. He plays that Eastern Kentucky tune, Snakewinder, Platt picks it on the guitar. Mm-hmm. Passionate about it. And so I always tell folks, you know, if someone retires and they have more time, and they say, you know, I'm just too old to pick up an instrument. Well, you know, you're not. Never too old. You're never too old. And, um, you know, kind of set a goal. I like working with older folks, and it's like... Uh, and it gives them a great outlet to learn something new, and it creates a community. So my private students, I have three private lessons a month, and then I have one group lesson. Because this is social music. I want them to get together early on and learn how to play and enjoy playing music with other people. Yeah. And uh, it's really exciting to see all ages get in, involved. And uh, so I had a, a student. I was uh, working out in Nashville, and I had a student. And he was, in, he was retired. And he came to me and said, well, he said, look, he said, I want to learn to play the guitar. He said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to warn you up front. I said, well, okay, what's the warning? He said, well, I think my fingers are too big. He said, I had a horse wreck and broke my little finger. It doesn't move too great. And I said, well, what's your goal? He said, my goal is I have a, a you know, like a, a pontoon boat on the Tennessee River. I want to strum chords and hum cowboy songs and float down the river and drink beer. <laughs> and I said, okay, I think we can do that. <laughs> so, you know, we start learning to play chords, and, uh, and, and he's yeah. learning to play chords, and he's, he's having a good time. Yeah. He, he's uh, lived in Middle Tennessee. His family, yeah. his family moved back to Tennessee during the Dust Bowl. His, the Dust Bowl happened. He moved to, his parents moved mm-hmm. to, his dad moved to Tennessee. So, you know, we got to the point where he could float down the river and play chords and hum. But, but then guess what? He's like, this is fun. Mm-hmm. And then he raised the bar. He goes, I want to play with other people. So he, he started practicing and he got to where he could, you know, play yeah. with other musicians. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and then, you know, I'd left Tennessee. But then I hear through the grapevine, he, made, he started making guitars. So, you know, here's a, a retired yeah. gentleman that said, hey, you know, I want to have fun. You oh, know, nice. have a little more extra time. And, yeah. uh you know, let's just start with kind of an easy goal, and yeah. and 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 he just it just became a passion of his life. Well, he started making guitars. It's great. That's great. Uh, Scott Miller is uh, has been our guest. It's been a pleasure uh, talking with you and learning about you. I can't wait to 
to see you and the in the family perform or you and 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 a troop perform or wherever you are i think it'll be fun to to come and uh, be in the audience sometime uh, uh scott is available through our kentucky humanities speakers bureau um our website kyhumanities.org can give you all the information uh scott's uh, telephone number is there he's He's ready to travel uh, and, and talk about all kinds of music. And uh, Scott, once again, thanks so much for sitting down with us. Oh, thank you for having me. Think Humanities is a podcast from Kentucky Humanities, where we have been telling Kentucky's story for 49 years. Think Humanities is available at kyhumanities.org, iTunes, and SoundCloud. Join us next week for a new episode of Think Humanities.